Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Today, I was hoping to bring you a very different show than the one you're about to hear. With runoff victories in Georgia, meaning Democrats are set to take back the Senate, I spent yesterday morning interviewing Cliff Albright, an activist who helped turn out a record-breaking number of Georgia voters. It was a great conversation, warm, bright. And then all hell broke loose. Slate had a couple of reporters covering events in Washington on the ground. One was embedded with the rioters who breached the Capitol. And the other was inside the chamber itself with the lawmakers. So we're going to tell the story of what happened from each of their perspectives. And we're going to start with Eamon Ismail. I got there early. I got to the Ellipse Park just south of the White House. Eamon was in D.C. to cover what started out as protests. He is like your hip photographer friend. He's undaunted, casual, and it makes it easier for him to sidle up to all kinds of people and ask them questions. I would say that the mood was up. People were happy. It felt like everyone had on their cool, like, Trump swag, and they were showing it off. You ever go to Comic-Con? It really felt like Comic-Con. People had, like, fake Trump faces, cutouts. People had, like, their their favorite slogans all on their favorite T-shirts. I would say 95% of everyone who was there was, like, white. Maybe 90, maybe 90, just to be generous here. And my plan was to just talk to people, get to know them. I wanted to know if I could get some closure on the Trump era. This felt like this was the last opportunity to really talk to Trump supporters at home where they're comfortable wearing their colors and talking about their opinions. What I was trying to do is I was trying to have these kinds of conversations where I can be candid and they can be candid and it's not so hostile. The stakes don't seem so high. So I was able to do that uh, with a bunch of different people, which was satisfying. You know, it felt good. One of them, uh, one Trump supporter looked me in the eyes and said, Jesus Christ is going to come down and make it happen. Four years from, of Trump is, is still the problem. Uh, I think it's biblical. I think biblical. it's biblical. Yeah. In what way do you think? I, I think that he is destined to be, to have a second term. I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's it's the confidence. You know what I'm talking about? The confidence. It was crazy. I like, I like to joke with my, the people that I interview um, just to kind of get them comfortable. And I, I talked to this one lady. I said, she was like kind of walking past me in, in the march. And I said, hey, do you mind if I get like a quick quote from you? Uh, I, I don't want to hold you hostage, though. You're allowed to say no. And she's like, haha, if you were holding me hostage, I'd pull out my gun and shoot you. And I said, you don't actually have a gun, do you? And she said, haha, I'm not going to tell you and kind of like walked off. So I was like, holy shit, nobody actually got checked. People probably brought their pistols. That actually kind of shook me. (laughs) So I kind of hung out over there for a long time, up until Trump's speech, where he told 
his audience that he was going to the Capitol building to protest the Electoral College certification. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. I love Pennsylvania Avenue. And we're going to the Capitol. And we're going to try so at that moment, people didn't even wait for him to finish his speech. They immediately started marching, leaving the Ellipse Park and going towards the Capitol building. So then we, I get to the steps of the Capitol building. There's like this huge sculpture right on the front. It's this beautiful marble fountain. And it's covered head to toe with Trump supporters. They climbed up the thing. They have their flags. They're screaming, stop the steal. It's crazy i've never seen people climb up on the memorials like that anywhere in dc i didn't know that we could do that to be honest and so i i go up to the stairs i get to the door i'm trying to like kind of maneuver my way in there's like maybe four or five cops at the door who are trying to keep maybe five thousand people out which is insane but then the Trump supporters just ripped it out of their hand, overpowered them and overwhelmed them and were able to force themselves inside. And at this point, I'm like in the door, in the doorway. I can see inside. I hear one cop say to the other, look, there's no way we can stop this. We just have to slow it down. Right. And at this point, it was like comfortable. You, you walk inside. There's no police presence. You, you're surrounded by all of these famous paintings and sculptures that you've only ever seen in textbooks. Like this is one of the most important buildings in the country. But inside, it just feels like a like a Trump playground. You know, they were using it as their jungle gym. They were flying around, like having the most fun. It was very much a, a celebration of Trump on the inside of this building. Uh, in the same way that it was a celebration of Trump on the outside. The mood was definitely high. You know, every once in a while, people will start chanting, stop the steal and the, the obligatory USA, USA. But for the most part, people were taking pictures. People were happy to be on the inside. They were saying that this is their house. They were joking about how their tax dollars pay for things. And every time anybody breaks something like the windows or the doors or any of the various things that they destroyed on the inside, they would make a joke about it and say, haha, it's ours anyway. We can do with it what we want, you know, uh, uh, from from some people that I talked to, earnestly believed that the people's house was their house. It didn't just belong to like every American, but belonged to them particularly because they identify as American. They're the real Americans, and it's being hijacked by these fake Americans who are trying to steal it from them. So they were going to occupy it and protect it from the Democrats. I think that was like the goal. If I were to put it on anyone's doorstep, I mean, the obvious, the obvious perpetrator to me is Trump. Trump told them to, you know, Trump told them to go to the Capitol building and stop the steal. People, as soon as he said to go to the Capitol building, people went, you know, uh, and as soon as they got there, they forced their way in. Which again, if you didn't show enough force at the doorstep, they're gonna they're gonna want to. You know, that's the thing that drove me crazy is that there was no huge force at the steps or at the grass to keep people where they were supposed to be. Let me put it this way: I've never seen the police behave with so much restraint in my entire life. I've never seen the cops just 
look like they can't do anything. You know, like I, I get that they were way underprepared and way understaffed. There's no way they, they can pre uh, prevent that many people from storming the Capitol. Okay, uh, but you know, there was a person smoking a cigarette in the rotunda uh, inside the Capitol building. And the cop just kind of walking up next to him, touching him on the shoulder and saying, hey, man, can you put that out? You know, like, and the dude was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, we're on the same side. There really did seem like there was a certain level of camaraderie, the certain level of familiarity between the Trump supporters and the police who are supposed to be protecting the building. I've never seen anything like it, man. I've never seen anything like it. You know, um, one thing that I'm going to carry forever now is the knowledge that cops can be restrained if they really wanted to. You know, I've, I've, in New York City, where I've shot a lot, there are videos of cops ramming their vehicles into protesters, cops throwing flashbang grenades under press to, to try to get them to move. You know, inside the rotunda, someone smoking a cigarette, a rioter, a full-fledged rioter. Hey, man, do you want to put that out? Like, what is going on? They were allowed to have a fun little go around, a fun little illicit tour on the inside of the Capitol building and take their selfies and have their fun and do their graffiti and, you know, break their windows. They smashed tons of windows. I didn't think for a second that these guys were actually going to topple the government. That's crazy. These guys were allowed to have their fun. And once the police decided that enough fun was had, that's when they started using pepper spray. That's when they started using the percussion grenades. And guess what? They were able to push them back like it was nothing. Within, within half an hour, there was no more people on the inside or on the, on the plateau, on, on top of the stairs. Everybody had gotten pushed onto the lawn. And, you know, the Trump supporters had turned on them, calling them traitors and saying that we were on your side. And how could you do this to your own people? You know, some of them couldn't comprehend that police would do this to Americans despite what we've seen all summer long, you know? But besides that, I mean, the real fear came from the lawlessness of it. The lawlessness, that's, that's what it was. It was a celebration of chaos. And there was nothing anybody was willing to do to stop it. When we left, there was, there was somebody at the bottom of the steps saying, thank you for coming. Like we just walked out of a Walmart, you know? Like that's what the mood was. It, it didn't feel like a riot should feel. You know, it was weird. It was so polite. And then uh, just past them, there were like people dancing, singing. There was like a like a dancing Christian circle. And just beyond him, there was somebody actually playing the saxophone. And it was probably the first amount of relief that I felt the whole day. I'm not going to lie. He was like this busker who was just playing the hits, you know. It felt good. It felt nice. <laughs> Eamon Ismail is a Slate staff writer. We'll be back with the view from inside the Capitol after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When I reached Jim Newell, Slate's senior political reporter, he was hunkered down in a room in an undisclosed location on Capitol grounds, packed in with a bunch of other journalists. He had been in the Capitol during the joint session when it was breached, watching and covering the certification proceedings for Slate. Jim, how are you? Um, You know, like... At this point, at 6.15 on Wednesday, I've actually been bored for a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim. Only Jim Newell would no, put it be- that way. Because we, um, you know, I was pretty much locked down at like 2.30. And then I was sent to one undisclosed location and then escorted to a new undisclosed location. But there's nothing to freaking do. I'm just sitting here, you know. You said something yesterday, and I don't think it actually made it on the show, about how you were kind of looking forward to going to the Capitol and just like seeing how the different groups interacted, seeing how this certification went down. But you immediately said, like, I'm probably going to regret it like right away. (laughs) And I was thinking about that all day as we saw what played out. You know what I've been thinking about all day that I said yesterday that I I didn't listen to the show, so I haven't made it in. Didn't I say something like, oh, I'm sure it's not going to be that bad, the protests. Only a couple thousand people and it'll peter out. I think I've been regretting saying that all day. Jim's day started out in the press gallery, watching Republicans attempt to object to the Electoral College tallies. The scene in the House was, you know, they made an agreement, the leaders, the day before, that you would not have everyone on the floor, you know, you would limit it to certain numbers of people who needed to be there to speak. Because of COVID. Because of COVID. And sure enough, you know, there's like probably 100 plus Republicans there. Um, so already they're not really respecting the rules. Yeah. And it's, you know, and then they, Arizona comes and uh, Paul Gozer, who's a Arizona member who's, you know, nuts, objects and Cruz seconds him. What purpose does the gentleman from Arizona rise? I rise up for myself and 60 of my colleagues to object to the uh, counting of the electoral ballots from Arizona. Uh, Is the objection in writing and signed by a senator? Yes, it is. It is. There's a big standing ovation for Cruz, and he has this look that, like, he knows what he's doing is ridiculous. But he had this, you know, very serious look on his face. Afterwards... When the Senate met separately to debate this objection, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell got up and expressed his displeasure that his members had chosen to slow down the certification process. Our duty is to govern for the public good. 
United States Senate has a higher calling than an endless spiral of partisan vengeance. Congress will either override the voters, overrule them, the voters, the states, and the courts for the first time ever, or honor the people's decision. We'll either guarantee Democrats' delegitimizing efforts after 2016 become a permanent new routine for both sides, or declare that our nation deserves a lot better than this. We'll either hasten down a poisonous path. From what I heard, he was, there was a little bit of equivalence in there, you know, like, well, Democrats have objected before, they set this precedent. But it sounded like the meat of his speech was um, aggressive and, and confrontational towards what Trump was doing and what his allies in Congress were doing trying to have Congress overturn an election. And he did mention the election wasn't even close. So I give some credit there to him. Um, he, you know, he wasn't, there are a lot of people around here trying to toe the line a little more carefully. You know, you see, I think Rick Scott announced, he's like, I will uh, reject one state's worth of electors or something. You know, that's the kind of like needle he's trying to thread. And McConnell was pretty firm, you know, overall that, this is uh, an embarrassment. It's a little late to grow a backbone. No, it's a little late. It would have been nice if he, you know, hadn't let him on. But, um, you know, at least he did have a cutoff point <laughs> when the uh, <laughs> when the Electoral College voted. As we see now, probably a majority of House Republicans do not have a cutoff point. Maybe today was the cutoff point. Shortly after McConnell gave his speech, that is when Congress was evacuated. I looked outside, I started seeing reports about the west front of the Capitol and how they were breaching some barricades there and trying to get on the inaugural platform. And then I looked at the, I looked out the window at the east front. It seemed like everything was fine there. So I figured this was an isolated incident. And then I, a little bit later, I walked by that same window looking at the east front and those barricades had been breached. Hmm. And I saw people kind of flooding towards the building. And then, a, a you know, a police officer came by and said, okay, we're going into the Capitol itself is going to lock down now. Then I just, I watched the second floor door central in the Capitol um, from the third floor. I, I, I saw a bunch of cops outside trying to protect it and a lot of noises, you know, it sounded really like people were storming the barricades. And then eventually I saw someone break through and shatter the window on that door, which is bulletproof glass. Yeah, you posted video of it, which, like, it's, it's like, almost unbelievable because it's a little bit like a horror movie when, you know, you see a crowd of people rush up to something and break it down. I just, you don't, you don't expect a building like the Capitol. It's like, it's like seeing the, you know, if, if people rushed up to the, and got to the West Wing and started smashing the glass there or something. I mean, if you don't see people do that. And that's when it, you know, that's when it really snapped for me, like, okay, this is going to be, um, you know, an actual potentially violent situation that I don't think the police were prepared for. And uh, that's when I was like, well, I better get out of here. You know, the, the staff there was like, you need to get in now. And so then I was, I was locked up there for uh, a few hours. Like with a bunch of press. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was, um, that was a little nerve wracking. There wasn't like armed guards outside that door, right? And could you hear things? 
Oh yeah. No, we, people would, um, you could hear people running through the hall. You could hear some people start banging on the door, you know, and we'd all like quickly put our stuff in case we had to make a run for it. And then, you know, I could smell traces of tear gas at some point. We didn't quite know. And we were just, we were pretty grateful that the, the door lock was holding, but it was like kind of start to look around the room at the objects that are there in case, uh, you know, they, they bust through it. But I think mostly they were just running around and just causing what trouble they could, you know, turning doorknobs, seeing what they can get into. And... You mean the rioters? Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the beginning of all this, there was a question of where's the president? Where's the president? And around 4.30, when you were being moved, is I think when his video was released, video about a minute long, pretty strange, saying to the rioters, we love you, but please go home. This was a fraudulent election, but we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way. Well, yeah. And he said, well, within that, he, um, you know, he said, I understand the election was stolen. It was rigged. I can't believe we're allowing this to happen. And then he just, you know, about half an hour ago, tweeted out again, something like this is what happens when you steal an election or something. But let's be peaceful. That just leaves me speechless. Like, I mean, you think it's, I I can't think of something worse to do. Well, can we talk about what happens now? Because Representative Ilhan Omar has said she's drafting articles of impeachment. Various folks have suggested we need to move fast, like within 24 hours, because what's happened is so dangerous. You've seen some manufacturers submit a letter to the vice president saying, you could invoke the 25th Amendment and take charge, saying Trump is incapacitated. I, I wonder where you think all that is going. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going anywhere, but uh, like I'm at the point now where I'm not ruling it out. <laughs> I mean, I personally think either of those should absolutely happen right now. I think this, you know, playtime is over here. You know, again, you know, I don't know if that's going to go anywhere. But yeah, I mean, it really, it really this doesn't seem tenable even for two more weeks right now. I mean, it's the worst thing I've ever seen, like, in the government of this country. Yeah, it stood out to me that Representative Catherine Clark, who's a member of leadership, was one of the people saying that impeachment was on the table. Hakeem Jeffries went on cable news and said, we're not ruling it out. And I thought, okay, this actually might happen. I don't know how far it would get. And then, you know, a day will pass and, and even, you know, I bet ultimately it doesn't go anywhere. But I think it'd be completely justified. And um, I, I don't think it's a radical idea really at all. But it's something where if you spend a couple more days being like, oh, we're thinking about it, then there's not really any point to it. Yeah, you have to move fast. Yeah, do it like tonight. <laughs> do it while your Republican colleagues are freaked out. Yeah. I wonder if there's any talk about consequences for members who support Trump. Like, there was this kind of shocking photo of Josh Hawley walking into the building today where he saw some folks outside, Trump supporters, and he egged them on. He, like, raised his fist. <laughs> Obviously, the mood is quite different now. I mean, Cori Bush has raised the idea of possibly censuring her colleagues. Do you think that will get off the ground? 
I don't, I don't really know. I mean, what I feel right, like, I mean, what I, I really just feel mostly is just anger at this whole situation and this feeling that there need to be consequences and not just, you know, another one of those things like what a wacky day in Washington, DC. So I, you know, I don't know exactly <laughs> what they should be, but I feel like this needs to be this really, you can't just let this people get away with this. What would it take for there to be consequences? I'm not sure. I mean, an, you know, an overwhelming sense among Republicans that Trump is gone and they need to cut bait with him. If they're so horrified by what they saw today that they they need to put an end to this experiment. And maybe if they're pissed off about Georgia, <laughs> that's, you know, another way that, that they might do it. But, you know, we haven't seen in four years. I, I just, you know, I, I don't really know how a member can defend what happened today and not feel as if they, uh, they led this back on. I think for every, everyone kind of has this moment, I guess for house members when it's, you know, they tell you you might need to use your gas mask or for reporters when you actually see a, a glass window being broken, it's kind of this, um, it's like this new breakthrough in sort of internet bullshit becoming real. And I think that was what was so frightening today is, you know, you can see all of this just Trump tweeting nonsense, all these guys enabling him in the house, enabling this nonsense because it's politically convenient, going along because you don't want him to tweet angrily at you and what that can kind of spiral into. And it can spiral into something real. Jim Newell, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Jim Newell is the senior politics reporter for Slate. After we got off the phone, members of Congress reconvened to continue the work of certifying the election. Some Republicans got up to say that after the day's failed insurrection, the results should be approved by Congress without delay. Others even backtracked from previous plans to object to Biden's electoral win. But Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley the Sedition Caucus ringleader, he found a way to justify his support for Trump and his backers and said he would still object to state-certified presidential results. In the capital of the United States. And in this country, in the United States of America, we cannot say emphatically enough, violence is not how you achieve change. Violence is not how you achieve something better. Our Constitution was built and put into place so that there would be, in the words of Abraham Lincoln, no appeal from ballots to bullets, which is what we saw, unfortunately, attempted tonight. There is no place for that in the United States of America. And that's why I submit to my colleagues that what we're doing here tonight is actually very important. Because for those who have concerns about the integrity of our elections, those who have concerns about what happened in November, this is the appropriate means. This is the lawful place where those objections and concerns should be heard. This is the forum that the law provides for our laws. Provide for, for those the results were certified anyway in the early morning hours. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Daniel Hewitt, Davis Land, and Elena Schwartz, with help from Franny Kelly. 
We are led every day by Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict. There will be a new episode of What Next TBD with Lizzie O'Leary in your feed tomorrow. And I'm Mary Harris. I'll catch you back here on Monday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.